Journeying on this dirt path called life can leave you beaten, bruised, and defeated. Our hearts crave a reason to keep going, and our minds seek something to make sense of it all. This is why I explore the depths of the Bible with real Jesus as that hope and the one who holds our answers. This is a sermon podcast of my weekly sermon at the Ravenna Church in Nazarene, located in Ravenna, Kentucky. Uh, well, if you have your Bible, please turn with me to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 13. For this first Sunday of Advent, and uh, Advent, you know, is a season where we remember the coming of Jesus, right? The first time. The God, creator of everything, would become flesh and be born in a manger as a helpless little baby. And we celebrate that fact. Because Jesus was the gift that changed everything. But we also know, as we think about His first coming, that He came the first time, yes, but, but then He ascended back into heaven, and at some point He's coming back again. Right? That's the hope that we have as Christians, is He's going to one day return. And so Advent's kind of, we have kind of a foot in both camps. We have the hope of, of what Jesus did for us now, and we have the hope of what Jesus is going to do for us in the future. So as we, as we start this Advent season, as we, as we are adoring Him through this series, uh, we have to keep that in mind. And now, if you, if you want to journey with us, there is a devotional book that's been put out by the Foundry, the denominational publishing house, that is going to correlate with the sermons, and we're going to kind of work through it on Wednesday nights as well. So there's some books left back there if you have not had one, uh, but there's devotionals for every day of the week just about, so be sure to grab it. So... So when I was growing up, my dad, he had this, this black Nissan pickup truck. I mean, it wasn't nothing to look at. This one's actually a lot nicer than the one he had. Um, but it, it was like, you know, two-wheel drive, five-speed transmission, which you can't hardly find a five-speed truck anymore. Um, honestly, I don't let myself drive five speeds. I can, but I may have crashed one too many at the dealership. So I put myself on a permanent band. Uh, but my dad had this, this black Nissan pickup truck. It had that, you know, that extended cab, but you can't really call it an extended cab. And it had the little bucket sheets that shot out from the side. And you, you know, if you sat back there, you just looked at your, your, your sibling on the other side, and then you kicked them because you could, because your legs were pointed that way. Um, that, that was the, the truck my dad had. And uh, it, it was a lot of fun. You know, he would use it to pull the camper, our little pop-up. He would take our bikes whenever we took that with us and have a lot of good memories of that truck. Uh, one of my favorites, though, and, and if, if my dad were alive, this would not be his favorite, because uh, I learned some new words in the English language this day. But I remember one time, it was really snowing outside real good, and, and my dad was gathering some firewood into the back of the truck, and I'm, you know, my mom and I were watching through the kitchen window, and he's just tossing logs, and well, you know what happened, you can kind of guess what happened, he's tossing it, and he tossed one right through the back window. And we thought it was hilarious, he did not think it was that funny. <laughs> uh-huh. But one of the things I remember most about that truck is that it was really noisy. If you own one, you know how noisy it can be. And it gets even louder when the muffler rusts and falls off. And that's what happened to my dad's. And he was a, was a union welder, steam fitter, and plumber. And so he had jobs wherever pretty much the union would send him all over central Indiana. Uh, sometimes they're closer and sometimes they're as far as two and three hours away. So you'd have to get up early to drive there and then drive back. And and sometimes he wouldn't get back home from work until it was too late. You know, I'd be in bed for the night. But I remember 
that that truck was so noisy you could hear it from like two miles away. And so I was supposed to be in bed sleeping, but I would, you know, dad wasn't home, so I couldn't sleep. But I would listen as I'm laying there for the sound of his truck coming down the bypass, which was about two miles away. But as soon as I heard that truck, I know dad was almost home. He would pull in the driveway, he'd get out and come in, and I'd be able to go to sleep because dad was finally home for the day. See, that's what we're celebrating with that, about Advent. Because yes, we remember that Jesus came into the world, but we also remember that we live in a day that's closer to when He comes back again. That one day the dad is, is going to be home. And so we're listening for the sound of that truck coming. And that's kind of what Paul is getting after in our passage today. This idea of, of this ex, expectantly waiting. Because it's, a, it's an event that's going to happen, but there's something, you've got to be ready for it. So this, Paul's going to write about this in Romans chapter 13, and I'm going to read verses 11 through 14. It says, man, the slide guy did terrible picking colors this week. So I'm sorry if you can't read that. <laughs> uh, but starting at verse 11 in chapter 13, it says, Besides this, since you know the time, it is already the hour for you to wake up from sleep, because now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is nearly over, and the day is near, so let us discard the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk with decency as in the daytime, not carousing in, in drunkenness, not sexual, impu- in, in, in sexual impurity and promiscuity, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and don't make plans to gratify the desires of the flesh." This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So Paul is talking about the second coming of Jesus. In this passage, he's not mincing words. He's not trying to confuse us. He's just straight up saying, Jesus is coming back. And Paul, for Paul, as he was writing this, he believed Jesus was going to come back in his lifetime. Matter of fact, all the apostles believed that. The early church held that belief that Jesus was going to show up at some point while they were still living and whisk them away. That was the hope that they held on to. That was the hope that kept them going. And we get a good glimpse of that hope and how it sustained them if you read the book of Revelation, right? That's, that's what that is. That's God's message of hope to God's servants saying, I'm coming back. No matter how bad or dark things get, I'm going to return. That's the hope you have with me. Now, obviously, Christ has not returned, did not return in Paul's lifetime. And every generation since that early church, we believe that Jesus is going to arrive at some point in our lifetime. We, because we realize that if they thought it was close then, it has to be even closer now than it was before. At any moment, Jesus could return. I mean, we have all kinds of speculation about it. We have all kinds of books helping us speculate about it. But again, Adam Clark's my favorite commentator on the whole thing. He says, there's a lot of piffle put out there about the end times, but I'm, you know, I'm, I just add to it. Because <laughs> we don't really know. I'm, I'm what you call a panist. I believe Jesus is going to come back and it's all going to pan out in the end if you keep faithful to Him. And that's what Paul is pointing us to, though. He's saying, Be ready. 
Because you know what time it is. You know how late the hour is. Now, if you look at verse 11 here, there at the, that last portion of it, Paul says this. He says, now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Okay, that's what he's getting after. You know, Jesus died and he, he ascended to heaven, but now, now, because that happened a long ago and he promised he was coming back, and now we're one step closer, we're one breath, breath closer to when he comes back again, and you know it and I know it. Now again, we have to remember that there's a difference between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. When Jesus came the first time, he came so that you and I, we could be, our sin could be atoned for. We, we stood as exiles from God because of sin in our lives, in our hearts. And there was no amount of animal sacrifice that would ever pay our pardon before God. But Jesus came and he was that once and for all sacrifice and he paid for our atonement. And we can, be, we can experience the forgiveness of our sins through faith in Him. So that's why Jesus came the first time. He came so that we could be set free from the sin in our lives. That's why Jesus came the first time. But the second time, when Jesus comes back, remember, we, he, when He left, His people were still in, in bondage to the Romans. There was still death and sickness. Think about it. He goes, Jesus, during His earthly ministry, He's going around doing all these healings. But when he's, at, when he's at that poolside, when he's on that mountain, so wherever he's doing healing at, do you think those were the only people that were sick there that day? Jesus only healed the people that were brought to him. There's still sickness around him. Even when Jesus was here. And when Jesus ascended, his, his disciples were still, his, 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 his country was still un, under the impression of another country. He still, there was still sickness. There was still sin abounding. There was still the works of darkness happening. And it's the same in our day. We have faith in Jesus. We, we, through our faith in Him, we experience the light of God's presence inside of us. We know that we are called to live a different life standard. We know that, there's, that there is hope in this world, that one day Jesus is going to come back again, but until He comes back again, we're living in a world full of problems and brokenness. The light is shining in the darkness, but the darkness is still around. And that darkness is going to remain until Jesus comes back again. And when Jesus comes back again, that's when all of darkness, that's when all of death, that's when all of sin, that's when all of the enemies of, of God will be cast into that lake of fire and we will never have to deal with that sin problem again. We won't have to deal with the tempter trying to tempt us up ever again. But until Jesus comes, that is what we're dealing with. We're a people living in the light, but surrounded by darkness. It's like when you, you know, get up real early, um, right? And you look outside, and, and there's that you know, early morning light that's just coming up over the hill. There's just enough light where you know that soon the, the day, it's going to be daylight, and you're going to be able to see everything clearly, see things clearly, but, but there's still just a tad bit of darkness remaining. 
Jesus coming the first time was the dawning of the morning. But when he comes back the second time, it's going to be the fullness of day. Now, when Paul in this passage in verse 11, he tells us it's, you know, it's, it's, it's already the hour for you to wake up from sleep. He says, we know what time it is, but so that means you, it's time for you to get up and get ready for your day. It's time for you to get dressed. It's Jaden's favorite time of, of the day, right? It's when I go in her room at first thing in the morning and say, Jaden, it's time for school. And there's usually a good five-minute battle of, but I don't want to get up. You're getting out of bed. Paul is telling Christians that, hey, you know what the hour is. Now is the time for you to get up. Now, keep in mind, in this culture, that early morning, and for some of you right now, even today, that early morning dawn is very important because you have to work that day. So you have to get up and get yourself dressed and ready to go to work. And let's be honest, if you work outside and in the heat and the elements like they were doing, you want to get up, get dressed, and get to work as early as you can before the sun gets up there in the high noon, right? And it's really too hot to do anything. So as Paul's writing this to these, these early Christians, that, that's where they're living. They're living in an area where it's hot. So they've they got to get up while it's dawn so they can get to work in the cool of the morning. And so Paul's telling us as Christians, we know what time it is. We know the hour. We know it's the dawn before, before daybreak. But now is the time for us to get ready so we can go about doing the work of the kingdom. We have to wake up. We must move to put on the armor of light and discard the deeds of darkness. Paul's telling us it's time to change your clothes. It's time to get out of your pajamas and get your work clothes on. Well, Paul said part of changing our clothes and getting ready for the day is, is letting go, uh, discarding the, the deeds of darkness that are in our life. Paul says that in verse, verse 12. In verse 14, he's going to go on and he's going to tell us to, to uh, put, on the, put on Jesus Christ and, and do not gratify, do not try, seek to, to satisfy the cravings of your flesh. Those are the old clothes that we wear. When you came to Jesus, when you accepted Jesus into your life, those were the clothes that you were wearing. Clothes defiled by the things of this world. They were dirty, they were gross, and you crawled into bed wearing those things. But Jesus is saying, now, now if you're my follower, it's time for you to wake up and put on, change your clothes. Put on clean ones. Time to start a new day. And, and, and so in this passage, in the section we're looking at, Paul is going to kind of define for us what, what these deeds of darkness were that used to define our lives, these deeds that were the ones that dirtied our clothing. And so one of those, he tells us, is, um, where does it go? In verse 13, he says, Let us walk with these things as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness. That word carousing in the Greek literally is, is do not be going outside wandering around in the middle of the night. If you've ever seen the show How I Met Your Mother, you don't have to raise your hand if you've seen it, but if you've seen it, Ted Mosby's grandma gives him sound advice, and she tells him, nothing good happens after 2 a.m. And there's a lot of truth in that statement. Think about it. 
After 2 a.m. is where you make, start making some terrible decisions. One is writing this sermon. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Don't write this sermon after 2 a.m. Because you never know what you're going to put. But there's a lot of truth in that. Don't be out running around after 2 a.m. Another way you can look at this is what Paul's saying is don't put yourselves in situations where bad things might happen. Now, understand, there's some situations we'll put ourselves in fully, not fully aware of what's going on or happening around us, and not fully aware of the consequences that might happen for us being there. But there are some situations where we know exactly what we're doing and why we're there. That's what Paul's talking about. If you know yourself and it's a situation you shouldn't be in, don't be in that situation. Now, for Ted Mosby's case, um, well, just watch the show. He makes a mess of his life because he doesn't go to bed, like his grandma said. Okay. But think about it. After 2 a.m., if you, you, know, you might be a person that you, maybe you'll take a sip of, drink, of a drink and you might be able to say no, but after 2 a.m., well, you know, you're already awake, you're already you're having a good time. The Bible tells us not to be drunk. But after 2 a.m., your decision-making begins to be different. Talks about in this passage, Paul talks about you know sexual impurity and promiscuity, right? He talks about sleeping around and doing, you know, waking up in situations that we don't want to wake up in later. Those things tend to happen after 2 a.m. Oftentimes there's alcohol involved, right? Why? Because when you when you you know alcohol, what does alcohol do? It numbs our mind, it numbs our senses. And overindulgence in that it causes us to not think clearly, not process. We're not on guard, ready for what the enemy's going to throw at us. And then we find ourselves falling victim to whatever scheme he's laid out for us. You've got to pay attention. We can't put ourselves in situations to be vulnerable like that. That's what Paul's talking about. Now, what I find interesting is, you know, we as Christians, when it comes to, to wandering around after 2 a.m., when it, when it comes to, you know, not wandering in, you know, in drunkenness and, and things like that, when, it's, it talks, when we're talking about sexual impurity and, and, and sleeping around and stuff like that, we get that, right? We understand that as Christians, that, that goes against God's will. We fully comprehend it. And for the most part, we as Christians do a good job of avoiding those things, and we do a good job of telling others to avoid those things, and but notice what Paul includes in this list of things that belong to the old dirty clothes that we wear. There's two other things that he puts right there in the same list. Again, we're good about, about, not about the sexual things. We're good about the drunkenness. But when it comes to these two things, this is where we tend to struggle as Christians. But Paul, makes, make, Paul puts it on the same level as those. So he, he, so he tells them not to, not to do those other things, but he says, do not walk around in quarreling and jealousy. Matter of fact, I think uh, the theologian N.T. Wright put it best. He said it this way. He said, oh, where'd he go? He said, we should not forget that quarreling and jealousy are put on exactly the same level as immorality. There are many churches where the first four sins are unheard of, but the last two run right. Think about it. Think about it. Go, go about your community right now to, and, and talk to the people that are unchurched and ask them why they're not coming to church. And you're going to get some answers and it's going to hurt your feelings. 
And they're going to tell you all the stories of what church people have said to them and done to them. They're going to tell you about all the behaviors that went beyond the scenes of the church services. How they were gossiping and backbiting and, 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 and quarreling with, another, with one another for position. Those things do damage to the cause of Christ. It does damage to the body of Christ. And those are attitudes, not of a child of light. They're not the attitudes of someone wearing the, the armor of light. They're attitudes of someone still wearing dirty clothes. And that's what was going on. Paul was telling us, if you want, if you want to be ready for the dawn, if you want to wake up and be alert, be ready for, for the day when it breaks, when Jesus returns, and you've got to discard these deeds of darkness. You've got to throw off these dirty clothes so you can put on the clean ones. Because Dad's going to be home soon. Now, I'm going to be honest, as Christians, sometimes we are going to get, disagree with each other. Okay, It's going to happen. One day I'm going to come up with a stupid idea. And you're all going to tell me it's a stupid idea. I'm going to look at you and say, no, it's not smart. And then when I step on the rake and it hits me in the face, I'll know it was a stupid idea. And we may disagree very strongly with one another through that process. That's okay, God. There's, you know, do you think the apostles got along with each other? No. Do you think they saw everything 100% the same way? No. But it's realizing that you love Jesus and that you love each other. And even though you may disagree and I see the same things the same way, that you're able to talk about it and move together and work together despite the differences. And here's the thing. If that happens between us, I will be the first one that comes to you and says, that was dumb on my part. I should have listened to you. There's, the first church I pastored was a guy there named Don. And he, some, occasionally he gave me advice, and whenever I would follow what Don said, it would work out. When I didn't follow what Don said, usually I made a mess. And I had to go back to Don and say, Don, you were right. And he's like, yeah, I know. <laughs> That's what we do as Christians, though. You see, when, we, when, these, when these quarrels happen, when jealousy is among us, we don't hide it, we don't sweep it around, we don't ignore the feelings, because those feelings are real. What we do is we sit down and we talk about it together. We get them out in the open. We address them. We figure out how to find compromise and work together through those things. One of my, one of my favorite memories of the youth ministry, I'm going off track, but uh, is one of my favorite people to work with, his name was Tim Meeks. Right? Tim Meeks and I, we see things very differently politically. Okay? He, let's just say he grew up out on the West Coast and I grew up in central Indiana. So we saw things very differently. And when it came to doing youth ministry, he ran his youth group one way, and I ran my youth group a different way. But there's something interesting that I noticed about us. When we came together to do district events and worked together to share Jesus with our teens, none of those differences mattered. We loved our teens, and we loved Jesus, and we wanted our teens to know that too. See, we, don't, we didn't see the same. We, to this day, we still don't see the same, same things the same way. But man, we can talk to each other. We can have good conversations. So that's how, that's, how, that's how we as a church deal with these things. We don't, we don't pretend we, 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 we have to see things as 100%. We just talk about it. We work through it together. All right. So those are the dirty clothes. 
Dad's getting ready to come home, and, and when he comes home, we, we need to be ready. We need to be out doing the work, wearing the clean clothes of the kingdom, right? We need to, to be dressed for the moment, wearing this armor of light. And Paul, again, Paul describes this as putting on armor of light, right? Later he's going to tell us to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, but he's telling us, put on armor of light. So, so if you're putting on armor that is made out of light, this is telling us that this is not a disguise, you're not Superman wearing your cape and your, your tights underneath your suit. It's out in the open for everybody to see. Everybody knows you belong to Jesus because of how clean the clothes are. Everybody knows that you're a new creation wearing clothes that have been washed white in the blood of the Lamb. That's what it means when you put on the, the armor of light, when you put on Jesus Christ. You're saying that I believe in the gospel of Jesus. I believe that he died for me for the forgiveness of my sins. I, be, I believe that I can receive the Holy Spirit so I can wear these clothes properly. You see, that's the thing. We need the Holy Spirit to be able to wear the clothes properly. We need the Holy Spirit to, to realize that we need the clothes. We need the Holy Spirit to realize that we can wear the clothes and keep the clothes clean in a world full of darkness and dirt and filth until the Lord returns. You see, I, when I, as I looked at this passage, I noticed that it says, Paul says twice, once in verse 12 and verse 14, he says, put on the armor of light. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That word put on means that you have, and I, we have to wake up, grab the clothes that the Spirit has laid out for us, and then take, do the action of putting them on. Jesus died on the cross. He's rose again. The forgiveness of sins is available. And the way to live life and keep the clothes clean has been made available to us through the coming of the Holy Spirit. We have to put that on. That, that's, you know, think about when you get dressed, is it, is it a process that takes you all day? Okay. <laughs> Stay with me. When you're getting dressed ready for work, how about that? And you have a deadline you have to hit. I'm not talking about at the, you know, yesterday after you're done eating all the turkey. I'm talking about when you're getting up, getting ready for the day. You know you have to be somewhere. Now, getting dressed is a moment in time where you get up out of bed and you go to the closet and you put the clothes on. That's a moment. When you and I get saved, when we experience the salvation of Jesus in our lives, it's recognizing that God's laid the clothes out for us and we get up out of bed. We wake, out, wake up from our, from our uh, um, apathy towards sin, from our laziness towards sin. We wake up about that and we get the clothes that Jesus laid out for us and we put them on. There's a moment where that happens. You see, the moment we get the clothes from Jesus, that's the moment of salvation. That's a gift from Jesus to us. That is Jesus being the gift, the hope of, of Christmas, being the hope of eternity to us. And we take the clothes in our hands. But see, there's another moment that happens. It's not enough just to have the clothes in your hands. Imagine walking into work, and you're not wearing the clothes for the day. You're just holding them in your hand. What's going to happen? You're going to end up in a squad car. Congratulations. You, get, you met the police that day. There's a new way of evangelism. Never mind. 
But there has to be another moment that follows the moment where you get the clothes. There has to be a moment where you take the clothes and you put them on him. So Jesus is giving you the gift of salvation, but there's a moment where you have to take that gift and fully realize what it is for you to be able to live in hope. And that is putting on the clothes of, of, of salvation, where it's not just an idea, it's not just a thought, but it's the way you're going to go about your life. Because here's the thing, when you put the clothes on, when you wear them, you know, you're not, you're not, it's not an ongoing process of putting the clothes on, you just go about your life wearing your clothes. You're walking about, you're active, you're moving with your clothes on, right? Do you notice that? Oh, well, how do I explain this? You have your clothes on, but you're, you're just going about your day. It's a part of who you are for that day. You don't think about it. It's just what you're wearing. So when you and I are saved, we have to wear salvation. It becomes such a part of our identity and who we are in Jesus that it's just a natural part of our life. It's a natural part of our existence. Salvation of Jesus is how we think. It's how we act. It's what we live by. You see, Advent is a celebrating of hope of Jesus coming into the world. And it points us to the hope of his return when the darkness is once and for all defeated. But again, we've been li- we're talking about living as children of light with the hope that's come that's coming until Jesus returns. And to do that requires a change of clothes. See, we experience not just a little bit of salvation, but we fully put the clothes on as we go about our lives. And we fully put the clothes on. That's the Holy Spirit being invited into our hearts and minds. And we say, I am no longer going to live by the, 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 the selfish fleshly pleasures that I've been living by that are prone and bent towards sin. I am going to live by the things above, about the things that are about Jesus, the things that are about God, and I'm going to pursue those with everything that I have. And when you put this, those type of clothes on, when you put on the clothes of the Holy Spirit from being filled with the Spirit, there is nothing this world can do to you to defile your clothing. It doesn't matter what the world throws at you. It doesn't matter how the devil tempts you because you're wearing the Holy Spirit and you have his power guarding you, guiding you and leading you and keeping you clean if you are willing to submit to it, if you're wearing the clothes properly. Think about it. If you're getting chased by somebody and you're wearing jeans, you don't want your, jean, you don't, you don't want your jeans to be sagging down at your ankles, right? If you're trying to run from something and your jeans are down here, you're going to fall. Just asked the guy a couple weeks ago that was in our parking lot. Okay, come on, let's go. He fell. No, what you got to do, you got to put your pants on, you got to put the belt on. And they hold your pants up when you run. If you're wearing the clothes properly, if you're allowing the Holy Spirit to work and mold you like you say, if you're fully surrendered, then it doesn't matter. Because defilement, Jesus tells his disciples this, defilement is not something that you do. It's not something that's out there in the world. Defilement starts in your own heart and your own mind. You are what makes your clothes dirty. But if you allow the Spirit to transform you, you wear that salvation that God gives you, there is nothing the world can do to you to take away your hope. And when you live that way, when you live your life displaying 
the salvation that you're wearing through the Holy Spirit, then the world will take notice. Because not, not only will it guard you, but you will become a light shining in the darkness. Rather than being drawn to the shadows and the things that keep things hidden, they're going to be drawn to the light of Jesus because of the way you go about living your life. Because if you're going about living your life full of the Spirit, it's going to be a life full of love and kindness and grace. Yes, you might be firm. You may have standards that you live by, but people are going to know of them, not because of how much you shout them in their face, not because of how mean you are, but because of the way you love them and how those rules and regulations, those things that you abide by, lead you closer to Jesus. But again, it's not those things. It's you being surrendered to Jesus in your own heart and your own mind. I hope I made sense today. At least to somebody. <laughs> you see, the thing is, you and I, we're called to be children of light. And that's not some distant future thing. The freedom, the life free from sin is not some different, distant thing for you and I. Jesus promises that to us here and now. That's the hope we have. That the passions of, this, that the, of, our, of our lives now, they, they don't have to rule us. They don't have to control us. They don't have to dictate the circumstances. But the Holy Spirit, who, the God who loves us, can guide us and lead us where He wants us. And He's only going to lead us to good things. Those good things may be, may be in the midst of so much turmoil and, and complications, but oh, you'll have your hope in Jesus that sustains you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Dirt Pastorman Podcast. It is recorded live through Ravenna Church of the Nazarene, located at 530 Main Street, in Ravenna, Kentucky. Our theme song is The Dirt Path by Jeremy Edwards. Be sure to visit thedirtpathswimmingpodcast.com where you can leave me a message, subscribe to the podcast, leave a review, and find daily devotional videos.